Mariners make moves. Oh, what a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo. Adding speed. Dyson on at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way inside of ball. It's safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, it might be raining outside, but inside the 710 ESPN studios, it is nice and dry, and we are talking about uh, baseball. Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Hot Stove. I'm Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreyer, and Bill Kruger is joining us here on the show this evening. Of course, producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, Matty Harden, inside the control room. So we're just a few weeks away, ladies and gentlemen, from spring training pitchers and catchers reporting on February the 15th. The Mariners' caravan is still out there. We have some very special guests tonight. In the first hour of the show, we're going to visit with one of the great writers in baseball, Joe Posnanski. He's the uh, columnist from NBC Sports, a national columnist, and he's covered the Kansas City Royals for years and really has a, a great take on the sport. He spent an entire year with Buck O'Neill. What an experience that must have been. Wrote a tremendous book about that. We're going to visit with Joe Posnanski. We're also going to visit with uh, James Paxton. Right now on the caravan going up to Vancouver and down to Portland is Aaron Goldsmith. He's going to have an interview with uh, James Paxton, who's going to play a huge role in that starting rotation this year. Then in the second hour, we're going to uh, feature Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre, Jr. We're going to be talking about one of the newest additions on the ball club in Gerard Dyson, and Gary Hill has a great piece on the great Edgar Martinez, who is really trending toward getting into the Hall of Fame. May not make it this year, but the last time we checked, he's about 66, 67%. May not get in tomorrow, but uh, he'll get in hopefully next year. Shannon Dreyer, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about along with uh, Bill Kruger. Can't wait to get down to spring training, Shannon. Yeah, and I think we finally can take a look at it and say, okay, this is it. We've pretty much got the spring training roster. Jerry Depoto, after, uh, let's see, probably about 12 hours after the hot stove show last week, went out and made a few more moves yeah. and uh, added Drew Smiley. Um, the, the Malik Smith era, that was fun. <laughs> well, it lasted all 45 minutes, minutes of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, made a big trade. Traded a, you know, a highly regarded prospect within the system to get that pitcher that they needed right now and that's got some club control. And when he was done, he said, uh, don't count on hearing from me for a little while. <laughs> so uh, it looks like that roster is just about complete. Yeah, Bill, you know, Jerry DePoto uh, made a lot of trades, 11 trades during the offseason, about 35 or 36 since he took over in September of 2015. But it, this is the ball club. But you still think that, you know, if you see somebody out there, you know, Jerry still might do something else. But this is going to be it. Yeah, I, I think he constantly is probing and constantly reevaluating the market and looking. I think the guy never sleeps. Yeah. He's got his phone. And I just don't think he's ever, ever really truly not looking and thinking yeah. about how to make the team better. He's a brilliant guy. He's got some good people around him. I think he clearly sees the path of success for this team. We saw it develop last year. He's made some solid moves to make the club better this year. I'm sure we're going to talk about him. Mm-hmm. But he got a, a real stir-the-drink guy and Segura to play shortstop. I think that was a brilliant move, a great offensive player. He shorted up the bottom of the rotation. Drew Smiley, a left-hander that's coming off injury that's had a lot of success, that really is a nice-looking pitcher. Gallardo, you think, will rebound. 
so you see those things kind of yeah. shoring themselves up. I think there's a little bit of a, you know, maybe a little mystery as far as the bullpen is concerned, but he's got some nice young players that he's excited about that uh, could make impact uh, in the outfield this year. So, I, I mean, without getting into all the details, right. I think he's really been fantastic and really has uh, – uh, this club going in the right direction. He's done such a good job of putting pieces of the puzzle together. And the one the one kid I really like, and I like everything that Jerry has done, Mitch Hanniger. Uh, I took a look at the, the highlights and the scouting report on this kid. Uh, he had about five or six home runs when he came up with the Arizona Diamondbacks last year. Shannon, this, this young man could really be a heck of an addition with Ben Gamble, who was impressive at the end of the year. With Guillermo Heredia, who was impressive at the end of the year. But Hanniger, I think this young man is is, is ready to uh, really burst onto the scene. Well, I think they're depending on it. I, I think that they have all but written him into an everyday spot or a near-everyday spot in the lineup, which is interesting, and it's really neat to think that they're at a place where not only can they work one rookie in, they can work two. Uh, I think there will be times when we see three in the lineup from time to time. You can have Dan Vogel back exactly. over at first base. Uh, you're going to have Gamble or you're going to have Dyson, so you're not going to see as much of the outfield as you were going to see, say, two weeks ago before they had Dyson. But uh, it's neat. When you have a handful of players that you believe have done everything that they can do at the minor leagues, it's okay. Put them out there. Let's see what we've got, and that's something that we're going to see. Bill Kruger, you played and pitched in the big leagues for a long time. Here it is, January the 17th. Yep. A little chilly out there, rainy. Yeah, they're uh, lining them up training. by two when I was coming in. <laughs> And uh, we're going to get going down to spring training ourselves in a little while. But as as a, a baseball player, when did the itch really start for you to get down to either Arizona or Florida? Well, I think that the dreariness of the of the uh, the winter starts to wear on you, and you start to start to get past the holidays. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you can just start to feel it coming. It's like a train going down the tracks. Of course, I never really left my took my foot off the pedal as a player. I. I uh, was in constant fear mode that someone was going to catch me and really determined to be my best. So I never really stopped working out. But I think the anticipation really starts to happen, I think, once the holidays are finished. And, uh, boy, uh, and you know, for pitchers, and, and we, get, we get our fair share of criticism about how spring training is for us. Golf. <laughs> he, that's right. You, you have to be ready to, to, you know, bring the game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's important because right. – you got to do something after you you leave the the facility pretty much every day except when you pitch. So pretty good deal. <laughs> <laughs> but I so I enjoyed. I really enjoyed spring training. It was a lot of fun. I did too. One of the neat things, and if you weren't on Twitter, you missed it. But uh, plenty of uh, videos today coming out of the Dominican Republic, and they of course are getting ready for the WBC. And yeah. you saw Nelson Cruz and Gene Segura working out on a field and hitting baseballs with a team down there. Leonis Martin was down there, too. He looks like he's in just absolutely fantastic shape. Nelson Cruz, there are some videos of him hitting the ball in the last couple of days. Guys are out there getting ready, no question about it. Yeah, and that really jump starts not only spring training, but the the baseball season. I'm, of course, I'm going to root for Team USA, but I'm also going to root for Italy. And, uh, you know, because, uh, hey, they're going to have, they're gonna have a, I think, a pretty good team this year. Could you imagine... 
if they won the WBC, <laughs> we would not be able to get keep you. Uh, you would not. You'd be uncontrollable. I would. Every I, night oh, would be I Italian night at the park. It'd be unbelievable. Exactly. Brad Adam and I every year we win the bocce ball tournament. You know, on uh, you know on Italian night out at Safeco Field. I mean, I don't know. That's right. But it's it's always a lot of fun. That's right. Watching the baseball classic, it it really jump starts the baseball season. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it really promotes the game of baseball around the globe. Welcome back to Hot Stove 2017. Rick Ray, Shannon Dreyer, Bill Kruger, and our special guest tonight, one of the outstanding writers who has covered baseball for a long, long time. Grew up in Cleveland, covered the Kansas City Royals for many, many years, uh, befriended one of the great guys ever. One of the greatest ambassadors ever in the game of baseball, Buck O'Neill. Talking about Joe Posnanski. Joe, thanks for joining us on Hot Stove up here in Seattle tonight. Where are we catching up with you tonight, Joe? Uh, I'm actually uh, still here in North Carolina, beginning ready to get on a plane tomorrow to New York uh, to uh, cover some Hall of Fame. Oh, We're going to get to that. We're going to get to the Hall of Fame because uh, our guy, Edgar Martinez, is really trending upward over the last couple of years. We'll get to Edgar and uh, the choices. Uh, who do you think is going to be going to the Hall of Fame? But I want to talk to you about the World Series, Cubs, Indians. You grew up in the Cleveland in, uh, Cleveland area. What was it like for you, you know, watching the Indians and then the Indians finally get into the World Series? They had a three games to one lead. Cubby's coming back to win the next three uh, to win. And, and how great, you wrote a super story article on, on Game 7. How great was Game 7 and the series for you? Well, it was an incredible series. I mean, obviously, as a as a born and raised uh, Clevelander, I mean, there's you know you have those those emotions that go with this thing. But I mean, there were there were certainly a lot of emotions for for the Cubs all over the country, and and uh, you know I just so admire what Theo Epstein has done over there, and uh, have, have have visited with him many times through this whole process. So watching him build that team was incredible. I mean, it was. It was great, and and you know, in Cleveland, you get used to a little bit of heartbreak. You guys know that in Seattle as well, and and uh, it doesn't it doesn't detract from what just a just an incredible series it was. And you know, I I just was so impressed with the way the Cubs handled everything. I mean, that's a young team. They have all of this history sort of, you know, uh, down their throats and, and everybody's talking about it. Suddenly they're down 3-1 and, and uh, they just they just played the way they played all year. I mean, they, they were the best team all year. They were the best team at the end. And, and obviously it might have been a different series if the Indians have been healthy, uh, but, uh, yeah. but that Cubs team is pretty special. Joe, to see just what basically was a storybook series and to see how engaged so many people were, it wasn't just if you were from Chicago or Cleveland, to see the celebration where literally millions of people turned out. How much of that or what from that can carry over? What could that possibly do for baseball? Well, I think it's great for baseball. I mean, I really do. I I think that that it was probably the first time in, you know, maybe since – Maybe since 2004 when the Red Sox sort of did, you know, they, they had their finally breaking uh, the curse or whatever. I think it was the first time that sort of casual people who, who you know, had sort of followed baseball uh, but, but kind of left it behind a little bit maybe during the strike or maybe uh, at some point with the, with, with the troubles in the early 2000s, they just kind of left the game behind. And I think it was the first time that it just kind of brought all of them back. 
I think there's going to be some carryover for sure, but I think it's going to be up to up to baseball and up to you know trying to to you know there's so many great young players in the game right now. It's it's really an exciting time for baseball, I think, and and uh, this is an opportunity for them to capitalize and and uh, but they're going to have to do that. They're they're going to have to figure out ways there are things about the game, the length of game, and 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 things like that 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 they're still going to have to worry you know work with, but. But I think it's a great opportunity for baseball right now. Joe, I was sort of sat on the other side of the coin from where you were. I was a longtime Cub fan, grew up on the north side. So the swing of emotions that you, you articulated in your story, I was living sort of the other side of that, kind of waiting sure. for the, the other shoe to drop because I'm a Cub fan and I kind of get used to all the things <laughs> falling against the club. But, you know, as you kind of look at the series, I mean, it was there was a lot of chess being played. It wasn't just checkers. And Terry Francona, in my opinion, was the master and really outplayed the hand that Joe Madden had. I think Joe Madden kind of got fortunate, don't you? Don't you think? Oh, I do think so. I do. Th- I thought Jerry Francona the whole playoffs was, you know, look how hamstrung he was. I mean, they yeah. they were without their number two and their number three starter. Uh, they lost Michael Brantley. I mean, you know, who had been their best hitter for for the last two or three years. They lost him early in the season, so they were really hamstrung coming in. Uh, but he, especially the way he used the bullpen. I mean, I, it was it was so interesting and impressive uh, the way he would he would bring Andrew Miller out at any point. Yeah. The way he was using his his closer, you know, in the eighth inning, and then he'd bring his eighth inning guy in the ninth inning, and he was he was moving things around. I it was it was very very impressive. And you know, Joe Madden's a great a great manager, and and uh, I still think uh, that that Terry, uh, you know, outmanaged him for a few games. It caught up with him at the end, and I, I think they just kind of ran out of bullets. But I I know exactly what you're saying. I have, I have some very very good friends who who are lifelong Cubs fans, and they don't want to talk about. It. I mean, of course, they were so excited about just getting to the series that yeah. that uh, you know that was that was a great feeling. But they didn't want to talk about it. They're like, oh, it's, it's going to go bad somehow, and. And, uh, you know, this was the one time it certainly did not go bad. Yeah, the bullpens played such a huge role. You know, when you only have uh, one game left or zero games left, uh, both managers went for it. Andrew Miller was so huge for Cleveland, of course, uh, Chapman uh, for the Cubs. Joe, incredible series. But I want to talk to you now. Let's shift gears and talk about the Hall of Fame. We're going to find out tomorrow who's going into the Hall of Fame. Edgar Martinez has really been trending upward over the last couple of years. And I, I believe, and all of us here believe that Edgar should be in the Hall of Fame, the greatest DH ever. Uh, Frank Thomas going on, I think, really helped out his cause. What's been going on with Edgar, Joe, over the last uh, couple of years, in your mind? I think, I think you nailed it entirely. You know, I've been, I've been very, very much on the Edgar bandwagon for for a long time. Uh, not just, not you know, and I think it's hurt him. Certainly, it's hurt him that he was a DH. But my point on it is. Uh, you know, he was a DH because really they were trying to keep him healthy. First of all, I mean, he was not a bad defensive player. He he certainly played third base to a draw in, in his early years. But more to the point, he he was he was he was such a good hitter, and that's really the key to that position. I mean, the, no matter what position you play, offense is is eighty ninety percent of of what you do. And he's he's one of the greatest hitters, certainly. I've ever seen and, and one of the greatest hitters in baseball history. I think what's happened is exactly what you said. I think people, uh, Frank Thomas is in the hall of fame, certainly was a, a DH, uh, substantially. 
Paul Molitor's in the Hall of Fame, yeah. and Paul Molitor, you know, played a little bit more positions, but but he was he was a DH the second half of his career. Uh, I think people are beginning to realize, you know, DH is a position, and the very best DH you should go in the Hall of Fame. And I'll tell you one other thing that's helped him a lot. I think everybody wants, uh, I wouldn't say everybody, but a, but a, certainly 75% of the people uh, who vote are going to want to vote for David Ortiz. I mean, I think everybody kind of feels like David Ortiz was was that important a player. He was a great hitter, a great player. Well, you know, Edgar was a better hitter, in my mind, yeah. than David Ortiz. And so I don't think, uh, you know, that's five years from now, and, and hopefully by then uh, Edgar Martinez will be in. Joe, we've seen so much change with Hall of Fame voting, and now you're seeing, uh, well, we're going to see all the ballots public soon, but you're seeing more and more online on Twitter and on the trackers and whatnot. Uh, we've seen a dramatic shift with Bonds and Clemens after what we saw uh, at the winter meetings in the Veterans Committee. And there's a part of me that sometimes wonders if you're not going to take some things into account, why not just put all the numbers into the computer and have it spit out and tell you who the best players are? But that's not what this is all about. There are a lot of things that people say are wrong with the voting. That there should be more than 10. What's right with the process? Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what I like about the process. And, and, you know, I've certainly written more than my share about the Hall of Fame and more my share about the voting and, and the various issues with it. I think the baseball writers and, and they'll, we and, and they will take, a, a, you know, hits all the time usually get right at the end of the day. I mean, usually, you know, sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it takes a long time for a guy like Edgar Martinez to get in, for instance. Uh, but at the end of the day, there haven't been that many misses. Uh, you know, when people look at the players that they want in the Hall of Fame, that they think of as Hall of Famers, generally speaking, the, the baseball writers got them in. And sometimes it took longer and sometimes uh, there are people in that maybe, you know, the, the majority of – fans think it was a little bit below the line, but it's a pretty good process at the end of the day. It takes, it's, it's, it's kind of an ugly process to watch. You're, seeing it year in, year out really is a little bit like watching the sausage get made. I mean, there's, there's a, well, why, why is it taking Jim Raines this long? I mean, Jim Raines is no better a player now than he was 10 years ago, and that's true, uh, but it's just the way the thing works, and it takes people a while to sort of, figure it out and come through. What, what we're seeing now with Clemens and Bonds is it looks like they're they're on the path to getting in, and, and that's sort of the, the direction that things are going. And I don't know that that's right or wrong. People are going to argue about that forever. Uh, but that's sort of the direction it's going. So I, I think the process, while not always the prettiest to watch, uh, usually gets to the finish line, and I think that's that's a good thing. Visiting with one of the great writers uh, covering the game of baseball, Joel Posnanski, here on Hot Stove. We're going to be back with Joe more on the Hall of Fame and a lot of other great uh, stuff that Joe has covered down through the years, especially Buck O'Neill. We'll be back with Joe. Say, friends, sign up your little sluggers up for the 2017 Mariners Kids Club. All members receive an official badge and lanyard, a wiffle ball, and a drawstring backpack. Want more? Well, the MVP membership offers kids exclusive autographs and batting practice opportunities, discounted tickets, Mariners gear, and more. For full details on how you can become a member of the Mariners Kids Club, log on to mariners.com slash kidsclub. Joe Posnanski, did they have a kids club growing up in uh, Cleveland or a knothole game? You, you better believe they did. I was just uh, listening to that thinking how much uh, I want to be a member. Cause, uh, you sign up. I remember I used to. 
I used to get stickers. That was a big thing. I mean, they, we didn't we didn't have like the cool stuff that the kids can get now with the drawstring, whatever, and all that stuff. Like all the cool. We we just would get envelopes of like big huge. You know, back then it was just Wahoo, so you'd get big huge cheap Wahoo <laughs> stickers. But you know, you were in the ballpark. I'm glad. Cleveland Municipal gone. Stadium. Yeah, and, and go to the ballpark, and we had a one day we could go on the field, and uh, yeah, I was a yeah, I was a, a charter. Me- I don't think I was a charter member, but I was a an early member of the uh, Cleveland uh, Kids Club. Good visiting with writer Joe Posnanski. Joe, a little more on the Hall of Fame. We'll get you for another ten minutes or so. But uh, who's in going tomorrow? Uh, Backwell and Reigns obviously are there. Anybody else going to join those two? Well, it's going to be close. I think that if I had, you know, and I've been pouring over the numbers like everybody else has and trying to figure out exactly who, you know, who among the non, uh, the not the people we don't know their votes, like what direction they're going to go. I think Yvonne Rodriguez has a very, he's got a 50-50 shot. I mean, I think he's got a shot to get in. Right now he's above the line. I think he's probably not going to do quite as well. Uh, with the late votes or whatever, but I think he's he's got a shot. And then I think it's going to be very, very close for Vladimir Guerrero and for Trevor Hoffman. I mean, it's I don't think we're going to get five, but I think that, that it's not impossible. It's also not impossible that we'll get two. So I think it's going to be really close for all three of those guys. Did I see Manny Romero's on your ballot? You did. You did. I made that uh, on my blog. Today, you keep it up on my blog. That's good. Um, <laughs> I wanted 11. I, there were 11 players to me, and, and you could make an argument for 12 if you want to, but to me, there were 11 players that I absolutely wanted to vote for the Hall of Fame, and, and it came down to my last, be only allowed to vote for 10, and it came down to Manny Ramirez uh, and Vladimir Guerrero, and, and I love both of them, and 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 believe both of them are Hall of Famers, and it just broke my heart that I could only pick one, and and I went back and forth and back and forth. It was it was awful. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, obviously it's a it's a great honor to vote for the Hall of Fame, and and I love doing it. But to me, that rule of ten is is not a it's not a fair rule. You Open should vote for yeah, you should vote for the people you believe belong in the Hall of Fame, and and uh, and and to me, both of them, and they're equally. I mean, I have them in an exact tie, and. And I ended up voting for Manny Ramirez, and I immediately felt terrible about it, as I would have if I if I voted for. I just think they were both such incredible hitters, and obviously Manny Ramirez had the PED issue, but uh, he was he was an even better hitter than Vlad. I mean, it's it's tough. It's it's a tough vote. Hey Joe, I ask this of everybody that I encounter who's going into the Hall of Fame, but if you kind of close your eyes and kind of believe that the ghosts come out at night at the in Cooperstown, and if you're going to be, if they were to put you in the Hall of Fame tomorrow, who would you want to be between? Who would you want on your left, and who would you want on your right? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's a great question, uh, and I think about this in in this way. I think about it like who I, who do I want to go back and see? Because I would want it. That's how I'd want to do it. Um, so I would definitely want Satchel Page on one side of it. Because I mean, what what uh, what better conversation you're going to get than one of the great uh, one of the great pitchers and also one of the great uh, you know talkers and and just just a character of the game and uh, Satchel Page is there. And then I'd put somebody who I actually got to know a little bit uh, toward the end of his life, and that's Yogi Berra, who is just a joy, just an absolute joy to be around. And, 
And if I could get Yogi Berra and Satchel Page talking, I, I would imagine that would be uh, pretty entertaining. So, Joe, I, I, I take it that you've been able to kind of put this PED issue behind a lot of these players. So you feel like uh, their merits on the field are, are really what this Hall of Fame thing is all about. Is that is that well, fair to say? I, I, I mean, that, think, that these discretions aren't really uh, reason to keep them out? Well, here's how I view it. And, and you know, I've gone round and round about it, and I don't – you know, I, I think it's it's troubling and it's difficult to try to come up with an exact answer. I I take it into account. It's like it's a part of what I think. I don't disqualify people who use PEDs. Um, that's to me, it's like uh, I still believe that the Hall of Fame is is where the very very best baseball players should go. It's where they should be. It's uh, uh, if if I want my kids or my grandkids to go to the Hall of Fame. I want them to see the very best baseball players, and I want them to see an honest portrayal of what baseball is. I I have said many times that when when they put people in who have clearly failed drug tests or or who are clearly PED users, it should be on their ballot. It should be on their plaque. It should be told right. The story should be told right there. It's, It's part of the story of baseball. So, you know, I've, I've certainly had some very, very interesting arguments with people who, who completely disagree with me, and I, I absolutely understand their point of view and, and don't, don't believe necessarily my point of view is any better, but it's, it's the one I've come to, which is that I really believe that the Hall of Fame is for the very best players. Uh, it tells the history of the game, uh, warts and all. Visit with uh, writer Joe Poznanski. Joe, one guy that I think should be in the Hall of Fame is Buck O'Neill. I mean, considering yeah. what he did for the game of baseball as a player in the Negro Leagues, as a manager in the Negro Leagues for the Kansas City Monarchs, as the first African-American coach in the late 50s, early 60s with the Chicago Cubs, being the ambassador that he was to protect and save and keep us remembering about the great history of the Negro Leagues, of Satchel Page and Cool Papa Bell and all those wonderful players and the struggles they went through just to play the game of baseball, Buck should be in the Hall of Fame. You wrote a book about Buck, The Soul of Baseball, A Road Trip Through Buck O'Neill's America. You spent an entire year or so with Buck. What in the world was that like, spending all that time with Buck? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I did the, that for Buck. You know, it's the, yeah, it's the greatest professional experience of my life. I mean, it's, uh, the opportunity to be around Buck uh, daily, uh, the opportunity to learn from him. I mean, he was he was like a second father to me. I mean, he really was. And, and uh, you know, that's why I wanted to write the book. And, and then the experience of actually writing the book and, and, and uh, getting to tell his story. You know, you, you talked about him in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a lot of things. And, you know, the Hall of Fame is there for the greatest baseball players, what the stuff that we usually argue about. Uh, but the Hall of Fame is also there for the pioneers and the, and the, and the people who promoted the game and people who developed the game. I mean, you, you look, there are, there are, you know, almost half the museum are people who aren't players. Uh, to me, Buck O'Neill belonged in that group. I mean, he was not, he was not a Hall of Fame player. He would have been the first one to tell you that. Uh, but he was a good player, and he was a terrific manager, and he was a great – he was the first African-American coach, as you mentioned. Uh, he was a great scout. He scouted Lou Brock and Joe Carter and Ernie Banks and, and, and so many others. Um, 
And then he was the spokesman. He built the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He was the, the sort of the founding father of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. His contributions to baseball are just so wonderful, and, and he just made the game so much more real and enjoyable. And, yeah, I, I think he should have been in the Hall of Fame. He's not, uh, but there is a statue of him. You walk yes. into to the front right. halls of Cooperstown, and there he is. Yeah. Joe, what are you looking forward to in riding baseball this year? Well, a lot of things. Uh, I think this is this is going to be a really fascinating year. Uh, you know, obviously the Cubs is defending champions. First time we could say that in a long time. So, so just that is is going to be very interesting. I'm I'm really interested in in uh, the Mariners. Um, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm with you guys. Um, I'm really interested. I mean, I thought that team was was obviously, you know, pretty good last year. Uh, it seems to me, like, obviously, you know, we, we know that they've decided to go for it and try to win now. Uh, they've made some very bold moves in the offseason, which I like. Um, I think Felix Hernandez has, has the bounce back year, and I, I think they're pretty good. So that, that's, that's exciting. I think the Indians are really, really good. I think the Red Sox are really good. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. I'll tell you one thing I'm, I'm interested in is what kind of year are we going to get from Bryce Harper? Is Bryce Harper going to step up and become, you know, sort of the, the you know, second, you know, big star to Mike Trout? Or is he going to sort of fall back like he did last year and sort of not be able to stay healthy and, and all that? That's There are a lot of stories. I, I got a, a long list of things I'm very excited about with this year. You know, we're constantly talking about the speed of the game. I'm not talking about base running. I'm talking about the length of the game. They tried to do things to try to speed the game along. But clearly, uh, the the advent of the uh, big arm in the bullpen, one after another, like uh, dominoes. And it seems to be getting more popular as opposed to less popular. Uh, should we expect to see more of that? Should we expect to see starting pitchers becoming just five-inning animals? Or, or what, what, what should we sort of anticipate? Great question, I, and and I think the answer is that's sure the way it's looking, right? I mean, it sure looks like, you know, what we saw during the postseason last year. Obviously, you can't exactly repeat that. You can't throw, you know, Andrew Miller two innings every night or whatever. But will we start seeing starters kind of go through the lineup twice, and then and then you know into the third time you you start you start already starting to move them? You're your point about all of these arms is just, it's incredible. I mean, everybody they bring out of the pen anymore, whether it's fifth inning or ninth, is throwing 98. I mean, it's, it's, it really is an interesting time. I, I don't know. And, and I think it would be, you know, I, I think we would all agree we're sort of used to seeing starters being, being very much the, the dominant factor, you know, in run prevention, and and you you really cared about who started. I, I it would be kind of sad to see that kind of you know dissipate. And uh, but I also realized that with 13 man bullpens and 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 everybody throwing 95, I I don't know that as a manager you can justify not using all of these great arms you have. So. It sure looks like it's going that way, but but I I do wonder if we're going to see, you know, people blowing out arms even more. Everybody's overthrowing. I mean, that's it. It, it doesn't feel to me like it's played out yet, but it does seem like that's the way it's going. Joe, I sure wish we had more time. Love talking baseball with you. You're 
visiting with us from uh, North Carolina right now. It's going to be an outstanding, exciting season, especially up here in the Pacific Northwest. And we want to thank you for joining us here on Hot Stove tonight. We appreciate it, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. Joe Posnanski, one of the outstanding writers covering the game of baseball. And coming up next, Gary Hill has an outstanding piece about Edgar Martinez. Stick around. You don't want to miss that. We'll be back with that right after this. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Just a month away from spring training, but right now when you head out to Safeco Field for Mariners Fan Fest on January 28th and 29th, you can take part in season tickets, select a seat, choose the best seats for a full or 20-game plan season ticket package. Mariners representatives will be on hand to find the perfect seat for you to catch Mariners baseball this year. So head to FanFest the 28th and the 29th and join the club as Mariners season ticket holders. That's always a lot of fun, especially for the kids. Welcome back to Hot Stove 2017. Coming up right now, Gary Hill, so talented. He helps us out on the pre- and post-game shows. He fills in for play-by-play during the course of the year, fills in for Kevin Kremen. But he did a, a put together an incredible piece on Edgar Martinez, champion Edgar for getting into the Hall of Fame. Here's Gary Hill on Edgar Martinez. And John Wetland one more time set. And here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez now. And the fastball swung on and hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and it is. Get out the right bread and the mustard this time, Grandma. It is a grand salami. And the Mariners lead it 10-6. The great Edgar Martinez spent 18 years in the major leagues putting together a stellar big league career, all with one team, the Seattle Mariners. And now the Hall of Fame voting community catching up to what Seattle Mariner fans already knew. And now Anderson has sent the pitch to Edgar. Swung on, line drive, base hit, right center field. He's unbelievable. He is muchísimo caliente, Edgar Martinez. Two American League batting titles, three American League on-base percentage titles, five Silver Slugger Awards, five Designated Hitter of the Year Awards, and seven All-Star Game appearances. Off the pitch, swung on and belted deep to center field. Bernie Williams looks up, and this will fly, fly away. Edgar Martinez has just given the Mariners a 5-2 lead. The numbers are incredible. A 300-plus batting average, a 400-plus on-base percentage, 300-plus home runs, 500-plus doubles, and 1,000-plus base on balls. When Edgar Martinez retired, only Stan Musial, Rogers Hornsby, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Ted Williams finished as high in every category. He was such a tough at-bat. If you made any mistake, he really crushed you. And if you executed your pitch, he would only get a single. So it's like, uh, and I'm not the only guy. There's a lot of guys that uh, we all raise our hands, especially the lefties. You know, Edgar was just a very difficult uh, guy for us to face. Former teammate and foe, Mark Langston. The pitch on the way to Martinez. Swung on and belted. Deep to left field. It will fly away. And the Mariners win a 3-2. My, oh, my. 
And longtime big league pitcher Bill Kruger sums up the importance of Edgar Martinez. When you step across the field and you're on the opposing team, this is a great litmus test. Is that you could go through the Rodriguez's and the Juniors and the Tino Martinez's and the Kenny Griffey's. The guy they were most worried about was Edgar Martinez. He was the one that they feared with runners in scoring position. Edgar Martinez defined the position of designated hitter. So much so, the award for best designated hitter every season is now the Edgar Martinez Award. Because of your record on this night, the designated hitter award for the American League will be forever be named the Edgar Martinez Award. And the man who has won the most Edgar Martinez Awards, David Ortiz, he knows where Edgar belongs. To me, he should be Hall of Famer. He should be inducted in the Hall of Fame a while ago. It, it will happen regardless. I, I, I hope so. And it made me proud, you know, just the fact that uh, they kind of uh, uh, compare my name to uh, an amazing uh, uh, player like, like Edgar used to be. And Edgar was meticulous with his craft. He was the first guy I ever saw that actually had a scale in his locker to weigh each individual bat. I've never seen that before, but it had to be 31 ounces on the button or it was a batting practice bat. One of the things I thought was really impressive is the first time I watched him take live batting practice with a donut on his bat, the eye exercises that he used to do in front of his locker. I don't know, a lot of people don't know it, but he had some issues with his eyes, and so he had to strengthen the muscles to, to be able to control it at all times in the game. So he would have to sit there before games and do these eye exercises that he was religious about it. Edgar, his on-base percentage of 418 is the fourth highest all-time for right-handed hitters. Edgar, the greatest right-handed hitter I've ever played with. And, of course, he authored a signature moment in Mariners history and Major League Baseball playoff history with the double. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My, oh, my. And perhaps the only thing that matches his greatness on the field his greatness off the field. The winner of the 2004 Roberto Clemente Award, the fabulous Martinez Foundation, his connection to the Pacific Northwest as he played every game in a Mariners uniform. Edgar Martinez, one of the all-time greats. So perhaps Edgar has passed our way for the last time. And listen... piece, a Hall of Fame piece right there by Gary Hill on a future Hall of Famer, the music, the editing, the emotion of Dave Niehaus and his final words there and, and the calls of, of David and uh, the fantastic job by uh, Gary Hill and, and Hall of Fame players. We only have a second or so here in this segment, but 
Hall of Fame players are there for the Hall of Fame moment. And Shannon and Bill, uh, Edgar Martinez was there for the Hall of Fame moment. He always seemed to come through. There's no question about it. And as we've watched the ballots come in over the last couple of months and you see the movement that is about, you know, just really kind of educating people and what he did, tough to do when you're just in the American League, tough to do when you're up in Seattle, but they're getting there, and he's getting ever closer to being where he should be. Exactly. Bill, you had to face the guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was no t- easy task. I was actually thinking about that, you know, thinking about what Mark Langston said and how tough a call he was when you had to face him, particularly with guys on base as a left-handed pitcher. And I can tell you that, you know, as I think about that hitting audience and, and grinding it down to a, maybe a couple of guys, the cat and mouse that was involved yeah. in facing Edgar Martinez and Paul Mulder was very, very similar. The patterns constantly had to change. They could not remain the same. You didn't want to lose the count with him. And he would try to do certain things when he had the count in his favor and certain things when he didn't. But you could never really bet on that. Yeah. And Mulder was so cat quick that there was no one way to start him or finish him. So both those guys were just impossible. And you had to hope for the best, and no, hopefully nobody was on base. Yeah. But the difference with Edgar is is he could hit you out of the ballpark. Yeah. That's the difference. And he was a little bit more more inclined that if you didn't make good pitches, he'd take the walk and let somebody else do it. Edgar, I think the limelight missed him a little bit. If he'd have done it in New York or Boston like Ortiz, this would be a foregone conclusion because he would have helped win World Series for teams that were ready to do that. I'm not suggesting that the Mariners didn't have it right pretty close, but I think he missed that because he was so loyal to the Mariners. Imagine being Ken Griffey Jr., and you got Edgar Martinez hitting behind you. I don't know I if think anybody, that was a good thing. That was a wonderful <laughs> thing for Ken Griffey Jr., but uh, he was just amazing. Gary Hill, congratulations. What a phenomenal piece on Edgar Martinez. We'll be back with our 40th anniversary of trivia question right after this. My, oh, my. The great Dave Niehaus said that many, many times. First hour really has uh, flown by. We're going to wrap up the first hour of two here on Hot Stove with our 40th anniversary trivia question, and here it is. In Game 5, hope you were listening to some of the highlights a few minutes ago. In Game 5 of the 2000 LCS Elite Championship Series against the Yankees at Safeco Field, Edgar belted a three-run home run to dead center off of Jeff Nelson in the fifth inning to put the Mariners ahead in a game they won to send the series back to New York. Over which Yankee center fielder's head did he hit it? Who is out there in center field? The winner receives a 2017 Mariners alternate cap that is going to be worn on Sundays. Wear what the Mariners wear. So once again, who is the Yankee center fielder when Edgar hit that home run over his head off of Jeff Nelson, Game 5 of the LCS? Call right now, toll-free, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Once again, Toll free, 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. Coming up in the second hour after the break, we're going to visit with Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Did did a great job with the ball club last year. Looking forward to having Mel back again this year. Stay tuned. The second hour of Hot Stove is coming your way next. The Mariners make moves. What a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. Bolstering the rotation. Giovanni Gallardo. Adding speed. Dyson out at first base. There he goes. Pitch on the way. Inside the ball. And safe at second is Dyson. Upgrading the outfield. Caught with a diving catch by Dyson. What's next for the Mariners? 
Time to talk some baseball. This is the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And welcome back to the second hour of Hot Stove Baseball on a rainy, cool night here in the Pacific Northwest. Rick Riz, along with Shannon Dreyer, Bill Kruger joining us tonight. Producer engineer Kevin Kremen, Maddie Harden in the control booth. How you doing, Maddie? So uh, the trivia question at the end of the first hour, once again, here it is, in Game 5 of the 2000 League Championship Series against the Yankees at Safeco Field, Edgar belted a three-run home run to dead center field off of Jeff Nelson in the fifth inning. To put the Mariners ahead in the game, they won to send the series back to New York, New York. The question is, though, over which Yankee center fielder's head did Edgar hit that home run? Let's go to the audio vault. The pitch, swung on and belted deep to center field. Bernie Williams looks up, and this will fly, fly away. Edgar Martinez has just given the Mariners a 5-2 lead. Dead center field, no doubt about it. Remembrances of 1995 when he went to dead center field with a grand salami at the kingdom. Edgar Martinez has stuck everybody's finger here, 47,000 of them, into a 110-volt outlet. They are going crazy. I love it. The call by Dave Niehaus, and there it is. The answer was Bernie Williams was out in center field. Edgar hit that home run over the head of Bernie Williams. Our winner tonight, Hiram Kamalu of University Place. Congratulations, Hiram. You just won yourself. The uh, 2017 Mariners alternate cap that is going to be worn on Sundays, wear what the players wear. So, Hiram, congratulations, and what a call by Dave Niehaus, and what a home run, what a hit by Edgar Martinez, who uh, should be in the Hall of Fame. May not get there, Shannon, uh, tomorrow, but he will. I think he's going to get in uh, next year, so we'll, we'll just have to wait another year. But Certainly, he's get there. you know, trending in the right direction. Dramatic jump at 66% right now. You know, over 20% of where he was a year ago. So, uh, and then people are very committed. That's kind of the neat things. One of the neat things for me to see is you obviously see locally people promoting him, but you're seeing it on a national level too. The appreciation for his career. So he's getting there. Bill, coming up here in the next few minutes, we're going to visit with uh, Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Did a great job with his staff uh, last year working with Felix. And everybody else, uh, the Mariners will have James Paxton all season long. Who started the year at AAA the first two months of last season. Uh, uh, the additions of Giovanni Gariaudo and Drew Smiley. Uh, Iwakuma, 16 wins last year. Bill, what are your thoughts about the way Jerry DePoto has put together the starting staff this season? Well, I think he's done a good job. I mean, it, nothing ever comes for free uh, when you start making changes, when you have to add some offense, and you have to find, you know, help. I mean, there's there's a little bit of uh, give and take. I mean, certainly a guy like Taiwan Walker is a, is a talent that's yet to be sort of realized. I think that would be fair to say about Taiwan, but I think it was smart to go get a, a, a Gene Segura. I think that made all the sense in the world. So you lose a Taiwan, uh, and then you've got you to replace a Nathan Carnes. It's yet to know what Nathan Carnes is going to be. He could be the next Wade Davis. Who knows, right, in my opinion. So he's a great talent. But, again, you did what you had to do to get better. You get a super speedster in Dyson in the outfield. I think that's fantastic. I think Jerry's done brilliant work. 
So in looking at what he's done, I mean, when you kind of look at those first three slots, can we just say, oh, please be healthy? Because they're all really good. Hernandez, we lose him for almost six weeks to two months, and that's the difference. That's the difference. He's healthy. It's, it's, It's playoff time. Now, Felix is at a little watershed moment, right? He's going to have to return to form. And we've set the bar pretty doggone high for the guy. But he deserves it because he's that great. And he will. He will return. And he will be great again. Iwakuma, I just think that, you know, if he could just watch the tapes of the games that Jesus Sucre caught him, he'll be great because Jesus had a way to make him really mix it up and really change eye level and use that slow curveball. I think he needs to do more of those kinds of things because he's that talented. He just needs to go ahead and open the whole box up to the other team. Paxson. Mel Stottlemyre Jr. did a great job with him. Finding the right arm slot. That was it. Once he found the slot that was not the sidearm slot and not Iron Mike, yeah. right in the middle, he becomes really special. Because so now he's got, he's got the downward angle. He's able to execute the curveball. He's got a chance. Just no hangnails, no weird stuff. The guy's going to be a bona fide top-shelf left-handed pitcher in this league. And I think Drew Smiley and, uh, and, uh, and, and Gallardo are significant pitchers that are coming off, you know, slightly down seasons that have a chance to rebound in a better ballpark with, I think, a great pitching coach in Mel Stoudemire, even though they're veteran guys. Having a guy like Mel to work with, I think, is terrific. I think he's a fantastic pitching coach. And the yeah. times I've talked to him, the things he did for Paxton, how he tried to help Taiwan, the hard work that he puts in, the way he thinks about it, yeah. and he's very, very positive. But Gallardo, he's at that place now. Hey, let's get him a sinker. You know, just sink the ball a little bit. Get some ground ball. Smiley kind of the same way. Can't pitch to the top of zone your whole career. You're not going to be able to do it. He's got great stuff. But in my opinion, get a little bit more down in the strike zone. Get some ground balls. Make life a little bit easier on yourself. I mean, you know, I'm in the armchair here. I'm a million miles away from it. But I think it's an exciting group. I think it's got a lot of veteran yeah. presence. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, health will rule. And if they get it, yes. they're going to do Exactly. All those guys that you talked about are going to be in the uh, hands of uh, Mel Stottlemyre Jr. is going to join us here in the second hour of Hot Stove. We're going to be back with Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. on Hot Stove right after this timeout. And again, welcome back to Hot Stove 2017. Rick Riz, Shannon Dreyer, Bill Kruger, Mr. Kevin Krem, and Matty Harden. Our special guest right now, Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr., Mel, a uh, lot to talk about uh, with this pitching staff this year. A lot of changes on the pitching staff, especially in the starting rotation. But the first question for you, buddy, are, are there any fish left in the river that you fish there at home in Idaho? Because I sure want some more smoked salmon or whatever you're catching out there, buddy. Well, Rick, I, I tried to empty the river out today, matter of fact, with my group. Uh, we put a real hurting on them, buddy. So you, you, the good news is you have fresh fish uh, in the spring. So your dad's got a lot of fish in the freezer there over there in his squad, and I could call up your dad. Uh, he's got a little bit, not as much as he would like. <laughs> but, but but he has he has Costco down at the bottom of the hill. It's a great fishing hole. They never run out. Oh, no, I'd rather have the stuff you guys catch, man. <laughs> but uh, I, I tell you what, you're something. Stotts Adventures, folks, if you ever want to go catch some fish, Stotts Adventures with Mel Jr. and his dad, and he's got, what, five or six guides there. What river is that, the Clearwater River, or what? It's a, yeah, it's the Clearwater River. It's a uh, a world-renowned Clearwater River. Oh, it, it has the world's largest uh, steelhead hatchery on it wow. in the world. So, well, 
Pretty good office for me. You want some great fishing uh, called Stotts Adventure. Okay, let's talk pitching, buddy. Tell us a little bit about the Pitching Summit. Uh, Is that the first time this year for the Pitching Summit, and exactly what is it, Mel? Yeah, you know, that was, uh, as you know, last year it started out with the Hitton and Edgar Martinez and just trying to build a foundation throughout the organization, some some philosophies, a platform for – not only our young uh, hitting coaches, but for our prospects. Uh, you know, I know the one thing that it, it Jerry DePoto and, and the rest of his staff, after coming over, you know, they wanted to build some, some consistency with within each level throughout the organization with how we, we teach kids and the things that we teach them and work on. And, uh, you know, th- this was the first year that we did it with our our pitching, and uh, we brought in all the minor league pitching coaches, and I had the manager Scott Service was down there with me, and Mike Hampton and uh, Pete Harnish, all the pitching guys, and we spent four days together just talking about pitching, talking about mechanics, approach, communicating with our players, trust, you know, all the things that go on in the course of the season, and trying to build a, uh, you know, a foundation of what information we want to give our pitchers and and how we want to give it to them and and what each level presents so it was it was a great time for all of us to get together we got to know a little more about each other coaching staff wise and it was the first time that we've always had been in a room together to where we can talk shop uh very very good four days spent down there and uh you know anytime you do that Uh, it, it's it's for the kids, you know, and 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 we had our our prospects down there, uh, and we you know we we look for big things to to happen for this organization and and to be able to develop our kids and get them to the big leagues and and to help us win. Now a lot of the things that you're talking about are, are things that you want to see from finished players when they get to the big leagues, but there are philosophies and there are ways about uh, doing things that are probably a little different. And last year, uh, you come in an all-new staff. Everybody, nobody knows each other, and you learn how to work with each other. What are kind of the things that those who were there and those who are coming back got from last year that they can kind of start ahead of the curve this year with? Well, you, you know, you're right. In, Any time that uh, you come over from another organization and you bring a, a group of new people in, th- there's a, a period, and we talked about it, in spring training where you kind of stand back and and you look around and you take notice of, of your players and you, you try to build the relationships with them and get comfortable with them and, and they get comfortable with you. So it's uh, – and it takes time. It, ta- it takes time to, to earn the trust, the players' trust. And they gotta got to take the time to get to know you uh, as a person, uh, as a coach. And, you know, so we, we did a lot of those things and we, we continue to do them. We believe in them. Scott is, and Jerry has set a, an outstanding foundation for players to come in and feel comfortable and and keep them loose. Uh, you know, the, the the things that guys like Robbie Cano and, and Cruz and Seager and those guys that that they uh, that they like. And uh, you know, it's keeping them productive and uh, <clears throat> and to be able to have them to lead our club and and do it in a way. You know, with, without having a bunch of stress, it, it's, it pays dividends. So, you know, moving forward to, to really 
to really define what what our approach is as pitchers, as young pitchers throughout the organization, and to establish some curriculum and some guidelines at each one of the level and what we're going to ask our pitchers to do. Because, you know, the, the development part never stops at the major league level. It's, it's an ongoing, continuing thing. And I'm sure I think you guys probably talked to Paxson earlier, and, and he – you know, he, I'm sure he mentioned to where he's at in his game now and how far he's come and what that took. So those those are ongoing ongoing things. They're, they're conversations that that uh, that take place between staff and players. And it's uh, like I said, we're we're just we're at a point where we're really building a foundation and some philosophies within the organization for not only our coaches but and our players. And that's important moving forward. Mel, you're obviously looking for some sort of consistency, sort of best practices approach on how to build big league pitchers from the guy that walks in the door that's really green at the rookie ball level to, you know, the guy that's at the cusp. And then, of course, even as you get into the big leagues and start bumping your head against the wall. So you can't exactly hand the 400-level class to the 100-level pitcher. I understand that because, uh, believe me, I started pitching at the pro level. So... I mean, get hit, throw it harder. That wasn't a really good plan. So above, uh, beyond that, uh, maybe you could touch on some of the themes that you've kind of put together that make sense that you'd like to see kind of consistent across your whole pitching organization. Well, the, the big thing that we talked about, you know, there, there's there's a couple of things I look for, and, and obviously one of the uh, one of the factors or one of the important factors that plays into the whole equation is what guys do between the line, the game management, how they manage their pitches, how they manage their emotions, keep themselves in check and slow the game down. As, as far as the, the physical things, we, we talk a lot about fastball command and having all our pitches play off of that. Uh, we spent a lot of time in that four-day period talking about command of both sides of the plate to be able to command the bottom of the zone and to be able to pitch up. You know, the the game has changed uh, hitting-wise to where you're seeing more and more guys when they get themselves in good counts and it's time to go finish hitters that they're going to pitch up above the zone. You know, and, and that takes some understanding, uh, and it takes time to where those pitchers have a feel for their body and for themselves and then have uh, – well, they, you know, they're, they're, they're be able to handle their, their approach. So while we try to keep things simple, you know, we, we, we talk about those things. And at each one of the levels, it becomes a little more imperative that, that they fine tune, you know, the different parts of the plate. But it all starts with the foundation of a, of a delivery. And I can tell you that that takes time. I was so, so proud of James Paxson this, Paxson this year. He came up to me after All-Star break, and, you know, he made the comment about he's finally has a what he feels like is a handle on his body, on himself, to where he can make in-game adjustments without letting the thing unravel and get too many pitches in into the game to where he can he can make those adjustments quickly. And that that stuff takes time. You know, it's like going to school. You don't you know, go from first grade to 10th grade in, in a season, in a year. And that's what each one of those levels are for. 
Now, when you get to the big leagues, uh, scouting reports factor in, you know, being able to read barrels and read feet, uh, seeing guys, same clubs over and over again and hitters making adjustments to you, you know, that that's kind of the next phase, and that's where James finally got himself to, to where he can, he can make those adjustments. We have hooked Mariners pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre, Jr. We're going to be back with Mel. We've got him on the line, and he's going to be back with us for another segment <laughs> right after this timeout here on Hot Stove 2017. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. And we're going to get back with Mel Stenelmeyer, Jr., Mariners pitching coach. After this reminder, the time is now to join the club as a Mariners season ticket holder. Lock in the best seats at the best prices to catch all of the action at Safeco Field in 2017. For more information on the many benefits you're going to enjoy as a season ticket holder, log on to Mariners.com slash 17. Visiting with pitching coach Mel Stenelmeyer, Jr., they had the summit. Uh, Mel, tell us a little bit about who are some of the top pitching prospects in this organization right now. Besides Diaz and Altavilla? Yeah, besides guys that are here, yeah. Well, we, we just got a couple guys over from the uh, the Braves in a trade. And, uh, you know, as I look more into them, they, they become interesting, and, and they'll both have a chance to probably – uh, pitching the big leagues this year is is Pause and Pause and uh, and Whalen, uh, two big-bodied guys with uh, pretty good stuff that neither have really, you know, yet come come into their own, and they're still trying to find out who they are as as pitchers. Uh, and then I know we made the the trade with uh, was it Yar Yarborough and. Uh, Oh, who was our big guy there? Grahalva. Yeah, Grahalva. Uh, you know, it, we, we lost those two guys in, in making the, the trade that uh, obviously helped helped us out immediately. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I don't – one of the things that uh, that I, I need to spend a little more time with is, is getting to know our system. And it, it's uh, – I haven't had that time yet. I'm going to make, make more of it. You know, we were so focused this last year and, and getting to know our 12 or 13 pitchers, which ended up turning into 30 over the course of the season, uh, and just get familiar with those guys. So, you know, as we spend more time with Andy McKay and, and the rest of his staff, we're, we're still continuing to get familiar with those guys. But there was, uh, there was six or eight guys that, over the course of last year, that I made sure that their, each each one of their outings was downloaded to my iPad so that I could I could watch their games. And a couple guys came up and and made a big impact for us. And Dan Altavilla and yeah. uh, and certainly Diaz. And uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be more guys coming. The Simmons kid that we got from from Atlanta also is a big arm. And uh, the more. You know, you, you you look at what Mr. Moore did in, in double-A and him being a pitch maker and having command and feel for his fastball and being able to pitch down and up and in both sides of the plate. Those are the things that we're looking for. Not a guy that is going to overpower you with stuff, but knows how to pitch, knows how to get outs, and he competes between the lines, something we really like. 
Mel, you've got a rotation where you're going into spring training, and if everybody stays healthy, not a lot of mystery. It looks like GM went out and just got your rotation. They're all there right now, but a couple of the guys in Gallardo and Smiley, a little bit more uh, pitch to the fly ball, but at the same time, he also went out and got you a bunch of outfielders that can go get it. When you look at everybody in the outfield, all five of them, if there are five, there could be four, can play center field. What can that do for your staff? Just an upgrade in the defense in the outfield. Well, I can tell you it, it can give them a lot of confidence to attack the zone and get after the zone. You know, both of those guys in Gallardo and, and Smiley, for them, had down years. And, uh, you know, the American League East is, is not a very forgiving league, and sometimes it can take you away from, from your approach. And and I know that, you know, after talking with, with both of those guys and spending some time on the phone, that, that was the case where you saw their home runs were, were up, their uh, batting average against was up a little bit, as was their walk. So uh, in, in our ballpark, with the speed that we have, and certainly, you know, we got one of the, one of the best defensive in, in the infield. Uh, guys going to be able to get to the balls in the gap, and it should encourage our entire pitching staff to be able to attack the zone and, and get some early outs, stay away from deep counts and walks. Uh it's it's a pretty dynamic ball club. It's it's come a long ways. Jerry's done a lot of work. And I, in fact, a couple of days ago, I I sent him a little text and I I thanked Santa for two more pieces into the rotation. And he kind of <laughs> chuckled. But you know, it's uh, we don't we don't have a whole bunch of youth in the rotation. And I think in this in this point in time for the Seattle Mariners, I think that that's an important thing. These guys. They know how to pitch. They've, they've been around the league. They know what they're doing. They have feel for themselves. You know, they make make adjustments. And uh, they should both relish pitch, pitching in our ballpark with our defense and uh, the amount of runs that we're going to score. I'm excited. Well, that's clear. Mel, uh, I think you've done a great job. Um, we've had a couple of conversations. I think what you've done with James Paxson is just – it's miraculous. This guy is going to get locked in and be really, really special. I think you did a really nice job with uh, Ariel Miranda. I don't know where he's going to go, but he's interesting. And uh, certainly these new guys are yet for yet for your eyeballs to see and do. I thought we could just talk a little bit about you know the bullpen, but in particular, let's talk about Edwin Diaz. Um, obviously, Blaze is on the scene, and Blaze is, is, is the operative word. But the kid's got metal, and uh, he, he made improvements, and he showed toughness. But where, where does he need to go? Where, where, what, what's the next step for Edwin Diaz to get more consistent? I mean, that's not saying that he isn't, but where do you think he needs to go next? Well, you, you always you always kind of go in with your eyes open. I, I feel like their second time through the league, you know, their second go around, their, their sophomore season, and seeing if, if the clubs make adjustments, you know, if they lay off his breaking ball, force him to throw more fastballs or, or have a little better command. And, you, you know, there wasn't many blemishes to, to speak of. I know that uh, he, he wouldn't admit it, but he got tired, and, and he should have. You know, he's never pitched in, in a September before. And this was a, uh, this was a former starter. You know, which means he had to learn a new, a whole new role, an entirely different routine and preparation. 
and getting up and down and he, you know, getting after the zone uh, with with power pitches. We we saw his slider improve in the big leagues, and when he gets himself in trouble, you know, and he gets gets behind hitters uh, where he doesn't have the feel for the slider. I'd like to see him command his fastball a little better because as soon as he can command his fastball both down and up. You know, it's going to make the slider better, and it's going to keep hitters from from sitting. Uh, the one thing that we talked about, and it's a uh, it's a delicate conversation with a young pitcher, and, and certainly you know you don't want to speed things up too quickly on them. Was we talked about pitching up above barrels and being down early in the count, being able to stab his fastball down the glove side being able to spin a slider early and be able to finish hitters up. And uh, you, you notice he started to do that towards the tail end of the year. Uh, so, you know, he, he's not done developing. This kid's 22, 23 years old. And uh, he's by no means, uh, you know, where he's going to be in, in a couple years. So the one thing that, that really impressed me uh, about him was not only his his work habits, but his ability to have some understanding of of what hitters were trying to do against him, and it didn't mean that he was always able to to you know do things that he wanted to do, but he had an understanding of what he wanted to do, and he's pretty bright. Amazing story last year, Edwin Diaz. Mel, thanks a lot for joining us tonight here on Hot Stove. Uh, looking forward to seeing you down at spring training. Go catch some more fish for me, buddy. All right, man. I appreciate it. I'm excited. All right, me too. Mel Stottlemyer Jr. here on Hot Stove, and we'll be back. Aaron Goldsmith on uh, the caravan of visit with James Paxton right after this timeout. What Mel said that was very encouraging. We know that James has got the physical gifts. We know he can throw the pitches. He's got the velocity. He should be able to throw. I mean, look at him: 230, 240 innings. I mean, he's he's built for that if he can stay healthy. Uh, the issues have been minor. They've kept him out for a while, but they've been minor. But what really encouraged me and, and what Mel said was was that it was almost like a revelation to James last year when he figured out how to get out of situations. And, and he is a thinker out there. He is. Uh, all the guys say that he prepares more than any of the starters, that he's very intense in that. He's very dogged in the work that he does to get better. But when you put the mental side together with the physical side and, and know that, okay, Give up a run here. I'm going to be okay if I do this, this, or this. I'm in the situation with runners. I need to do this. For him to come to Mel and tell him that he sees that now, I think that's huge. Exactly. And, and to have 97, 98, 99 available to you with that breaking ball is really going to be special. I think he's going to have one heck of a year. All right. Uh, just heard from Aaron Goldsmith and James Paxton. We'll be back and wind down the second and final hour of Hot Stove 2017 with Shannon and Bill right after this. Wow, the last two hours just flew by here on Hot Stove 2017. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Bill Kruger joining us tonight on a rainy, cool evening here in the Northwest. Producer engineer Kevin Kremen, another great job. Maddie Harden over there in the control room. And uh, Shannon, can't wait for FanFest coming up uh, January 28th and 29th. Leonis Martinez is going to be there. James Paxton, who we heard from along with Aaron Goldsmith on the caravan. They're on the bus right now, or, or actually they're watching a hockey game right now. Mitch Hanager, Danny Valencia, Giovanni Gallardo, Gene Segura, I believe, 
is scheduled to appear. So it's a great opportunity for the fans to get to know these guys, especially the newcomers on the ball club this year. Yeah, I saw uh, Drew Smiley will be there. I think seven of the nine current players are new players, which is about right because there are so many new players, yeah. which is great to see. You also have the future stars, uh, past stars, broadcasters, so many things to do there. And, Rick, the best news is, is I just checked the weather. It's not going to be too cold. Wow, it's going to be nice. And we'll have a show there as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. If they get the zip line, you're going to do the zip. Is that going to be After you. Right. <laughs> I think I'll pass on that one, Bill and Shannon. But it, it is a great time, a chance for the fans to come out and uh, just have a great time and really start thinking about baseball right now, Bill, with uh, spring training right around the corner. And you're already trying to feel the, the warmth of that Arizona sunshine. And to be frank, uh, I mean, the Fan Fest, great, great time, great event. Great way to get close to players, yeah. really get your engine revving for the start of the season and spring training and so forth for those real wonderful Mariner fans out there. But I think there's reason for real reason for optimism. I mean, this team played without their best pitcher, 10 over 500. The numbers were there across the board, mm-hmm. just a little bit better in close games. I think this team has speed. I think this team is better offensively. I think they've solved their pitching. And I think they're going to be more confident. And I think the division's there to be had, quite honestly. I think Texas won 95 games with smoke and mirrors. Their bullpen wasn't very good, and they won every close game. So I don't think that happens again. And Houston's got a little bit of hangnail in the rotation. So I like those Mariners this year. I do, too. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to see you out at Safe Gold Field. The Mariners open up on the road, what, April the 3rd against the Astros in Houston. Then come back home. But spring training, uh, pitchers and catchers report. On uh, February 15th, and the rest of the squad about three or four days later. So come on down to sunny Peoria, Arizona. Shannon, thanks for uh, stopping by again this week, and uh, I'm going to have next week off, so have some fun next week. We'll do it again. Bill Kruger, thanks for coming by. Oh, I had a blast, guys. All right, that's our uh, second edition of Hot Stove here in the month of January 2017. So tune in next week. Our thanks to Mel Stottlemyre, Jr., for joining us here on Hot Stove, along with one of the great writers in baseball, Joe Posnanski talking about the Hall of Fame and other great things. So, so long, everybody. For now, we will see you next week on a hot stove. Can it, Matt? See you later.